0: Do you believe in supernatural forces? Back home in Australia most people don't believe in supernatural forces, they only believe in what you can touch and feel, the mechanistic world. But I'm sure here in Malaysia people believe in a lot more of supernatural forces. There's ancestor worship, there's the departed dead, the ghosts, there's the setting up of shrines around accident sites so that those ghosts actually go where they're meant to go rather than stay behind to haunt us. There's fears of haunted flats and houses. Amongst Christians, there's the fear of satanic attack. We feel that we might have a demon of greed or or lust or anger. We feel that maybe perhaps, we, we feel some spiritual oppression. Now I'm lying there at night, and I feel this pressure on my chest is that spiritual attack from Satan. We feel that there's spirits, evil spirits all around and even when things just don't go well, maybe that is a satanic attack on me. Do we believe in spiritual supernatural forces and are we afraid of them? Are we fearful of them? There's a great bondage is there not as you see in our outline and fear amongst our Asian culture of such evil forces. We do all kinds of things to placate these spirits. Paul's letter to the Ephesians recognises that such evil forces are real. There's a reality, there's a domain of spiritual forces that are actually here in our world amongst us. You see it in our text today in chapter 6. In chapter 6 and verse 11, Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is seen here as a personal figure. Not just a force, a personal figure who is against God. And not just him, there's his friends as well. So you see in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that's in that heavenly reality that heavenly domain such evil personnel and forces exist we don't wrestle against flesh and blood what is your greatest conflict and wrestle in life in Hong Kong perhaps It is the pro-democracy protesters against Beijing or against the police. But no, no, that is not the real battle in Hong Kong. It is not politics. It is not climate change. There's a reality deeper than that. Perhaps for us, what is our greatest battle? It is not the battle between husband and wife. Or daughter-in-law and mother-in-law or parents and children or even you and your employer all those things are mentioned in Ephesians but there's a deeper battle the battle not with flesh and blood but against Satan and his forces Ephesians recognizes that you see it there uh, on the slide coming up In chapter 2 and verse 1 to 3 you did that a few uh, weeks ago I'm sure where you see that we are dead in our trespasses and sins we we human beings we were dead dead spiritually we walked according to that way according to the course of this world what the society is doing but it's not just the evil world notice in chapter 2 and verse 2 there We followed the prince of the power of the air. That's another way of talking about Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is at work in those who are not Christ's people. At work in all the world. You see in verse 3. By nature we are children of wrath. God is angry at us because we have personally followed Satan himself. Now, people may actually think that Satan is there. They don't have to believe in Satan, and yet we can still follow him. For Satan's great lie is that not sometimes that he's not really there. His great lie is that, hey, you're just doing what you want to do. You're living for yourself. But really, it is actually following Satan. In chapter 4 and verse 27, coming up on the slide we see that even for us as Christians, we also can have Satan influence our life. You see in chapter 4 and verse 27, in all the temptations that we face, we are not to give the devil an opportunity, not to give him a foothold in our life. Even we who are freed from the dominion of Satan well, sometimes he can just st- establish a foothold and, and, and a grab us in one part of life. We need to be people who recognize Satan's reality. And so, how are we to react? We'll come back to chapter 6 of Ephesians, chapter 6, and verse 10. Given that reality in verse 11, that there's the schemes of the devil, his scheming lies, his lies as he told us from Genesis, you know, you will not die if you eat this fruit. If you decide to follow your own way, don't worry about it. As we follow Satan's schemes and lies, that reality, what are we to do? Well, you see it there in verse 10, we are to be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armour of God. Or in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armour of God. We are to be people who take that armour in order to do what? About three or four times, the aim, the goal is this that we are to stand, to stand firm. You see it there in verse 11. Take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. When my daughters were about four years old, we were going to take them to a preschool. And we were introduced them to this preschool. and They went along and had a look. And there was this little cubby house. And inside this cubby house was a whole bunch of boys. And they were shouting out, ah, no girls in here, you're not allowed. And so my twins, one, pushed the other into the house. Probably the one who was born uh, second, you know, practicing pushing the other one first. And so the two of them went into this cubby house of a whole group of boys. And then we stood back and thought, oh, I wonder what will happen now. And then after about three minutes, one by one, Each of the boys boys came out. And afterwards we said to them, you know, what happened in there? What did you do? What did you say? And our little Stephanie said, we did nothing. We just stood firm. (laughs) The imagery here is that we are to take on the arm of God and stand firm. It's the idea of, of, of holding the battle line. Each soldier, as part of the army, are not to lose hold of their position, but to stand firm. But they're to stand firm, taking this responsibility by taking up, point 2b, the full armour of God. I'm sure if you've been in churches, Sunday school, you've drawn lots of pictures of this. Paul is alluding to the most technical military might of his day, the Roman soldier. Here's a picture of the Roman soldier. I won't get you to colour it in, but there he is with all the gear, the helmet, the breastplate that protects, the shield, the sword. You see it all listed here in chapter 6. There is the... Shield of faith in verse 16, the belt of truth in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, verse 15, the helmet, the sword. Now, all these are defensive weaponry, except for the sword. The sword in verse 17, the sword of the spirit, is both defence but also a weapon of attack. In our modern day, of course, uh, the greatest military might is, of course, the U.S. Marines, and here's a picture of the U.S. Marines with all their gear. And of course, even better than that, the next slide is Iron Man himself. Right there's the great armor of our world. Paul's saying, take on the armor of God. All these different pieces of the armor actually comes from the Old Testament. I won't go through it with you, but here's the slide. next slide. If you want to take notes, you can take notes of all the different bits of the armour and how it goes back to the Old Testament. It is the armour of God's power that will enable his people to fight, to stand. But the other very interesting thing is, if you look through the rest of Ephesians that you've just covered over the last month or two, Every piece of this armour has already been mentioned. That is, faith, uh, truth in verse 14, righteousness, the gospel of peace, uh, faith in verse 16, salvation in verse 17, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God in verse 17. All these phrases come right out from chapters 1 to 5. That is, in this section of Ephesians... He's not telling you something new. When he says finally in verse 10, he's not going to a new topic. What he's doing is just going over the old ground he's covered already. But now he's going to put it in terms of this picture of a fight. A fight against Satan, a fight where you're going to put on the armour of God. Well, what is this armour of God? Ultimately, it is the gospel truth of Jesus. That's how it's all summed up. Just to give you an example of uh, one or two verses from the previous chapter that captures up this armour, let's have a look at chapter 1 and verse 13 coming up on the screen. Chapter 1 and verse 13. In him, that is in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, now that's part of the armour, isn't it? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's part of the armour. And when you believed in him, when you trusted, when you had faith in him, that's part of the armour. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who has a sword. You see, it is there already. It is all about the message of Jesus, how he comes and conquers. That's what the good news is. Jesus... Winning a victory. And we are to trust. We are to depend on this Jesus. Uh, One more verse in chapter 2 and verse 16. Next slide. Chapter 2 and verse 16. Here's another heart of the message of Ephesians. 2 verse 16. It's talking about how God, through Jesus, verse 16, reconciles us both. Remember, there's the Jewish people, the people who were firstly God's people, his chosen people in the Old Testament. But now there's the non-Jews, the Gentiles, us, us who are Chinese, us who are Malaysian, us who are all people who are not Jewish, we also can come and be reconciled, make friends with God. Both, verse 16 there, in one body, in God's people, in the church through the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross by which he kills the hostility. There's no more division between Jews and the second-class Gentiles, the pagans. No, we are all one because now we can come to God. We come to God because of Jesus' death for us. And if Jesus, through his death, can make us friends with God, then we get to God on the same basis as everybody else. If God accepts me, not because whether I'm good or religious, but God accepts me because of Jesus taking my penalty on the cross, and God accepts you because of that, hey, then we can have actually acceptance and peace with one another. And so that is what Jesus has done. He's made us peace with God and peace with one another. That's the gospel of peace. That is the part of the armour that chapter 6 talks about in verse 15. The readiness of the gospel of peace. See, it's all there already. So we're to take our stand against Satan. It is our responsibility to put on this full armour of God. In other words, when we get to chapter 6 here, we come to the climax of the whole letter. It is all about a battle. He's trying to remind us of everything that he said already. Here's the arm of God, the gospel message of Jesus that gives us salvation. Put it on. But how do you put it on? If it's an actual bit of armour, a helmet, you can physically put it on, tie up the shoelaces, put on the sword, hold the shield. If you're Iron Man, you just click your finger and the whole thing gets put on. But how do you put on the gospel message? How do you put on this armour of God? Well, it is by knowing it and trusting it. That's how you put on a message. That's how you put on the truth that stands against the lies of the devil. By knowing the truth. By teaching each other the truth, that by teaching ourselves the truth, we're to put on by trusting this message. Come with me, I don't have a slide for it, but come with me to chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 15, very important little verse, chapter 4 and verse 15. Again, there is the schemes of the devil. Go back to verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, you to be ch- uh, no longer to be children, no longer tossed around like a little boat carried by every doctrine, every wind of doctrine, by the cunningness, the craftiness, the deceitful schemes. You see, there's the schemes of Satan and his lies, but rather, 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Actually, the word speaking is not there. The the original Greek is truth in love. We're to truth in love. We're to hold on to the truth, to live out that truth in love. That's how you put on the armour. If the armour is about truth, then you understand it. Now, it's more than just reading the Bible. It's a good pattern to read the Bible every day. And some people say, "Don't don't have breakfast until you read the Bible. Good pattern of life. It's not just ticking the box. Oh, yeah, I read it for five minutes. And No, no, it's about absorbing, about read, mark and learning, about not only just understanding, memorising it, although that's good, it's actually putting it into your life so that you live it out. Let me give you an example in terms of putting on this armour. Uh, in terms of, uh, just say that the missiles of Satan, you see that uh, in chapter 6 here, chapter 6, Satan has all these missiles. He has these missiles in uh, verse 16. We have to take on the shield of faith that can extinguish all these missiles. Well, one of the missiles is that of greed. Now, you see back, uh, say, in chapter 5, chapter 5, uh, if you look back in your Bible in verse 5, covetousness, greed, that is actually idolatry, says Paul. So just imagine, now you put on the armour, next slide, you are like Captain America, you got your shield of faith, of trusting in Jesus and the message of Jesus. What do you do when this missile of greed comes at you? Well, it's an idol. Let's firstly understand the love of money is, is an idol. Money is okay, nothing wrong with money. But to love it, to always want and more and more of it, that is an idol. And why is it an idol? Because it's what people put first. It's what people say they must have. It's what people love first. It's like the rich young ruler. He'd rather keep all his money than to follow Jesus. But it's also an idol because people trust it. People depend on it. That's what an idol is. You know, people put a little a Buddha you know, thing in their car so as to protect them against an accident. Do so they trust these idols? Well, greed is an idol like that. For with greed, we live for money and we trust money. My son Jordan, when he was very little, about uh, I think two or three years old, he started wanting a lot more toys and things. Uh, He always wanted to go to McDonald's to get a happy meal, right? Because we actually make him happy. And so it's starting to become a bit of an idol. And so we decided, my wife and I, to help him understand not to love money. And so we got out the um, DVD tapes of uh, VeggieTales. Some of you have seen VeggieTales or shown your kids. And there's a particular one about Madam Blueberry. See, Madam Blueberry was very blue because she was very uh, jealous of other people, you know, uh, uh, wanting what other people had. And so Madame Blueberry was very sad because her neighbour was getting all this new stuff from Stuff Mart, right? Big fridges and everything. And so she wanted the same. And she went to Stuff Mart, it's American anyway, and this truck comes and loads all these big new sofas, big new TV, big new fridges onto Madame Blueberry's tree. But it got so heavy that her house started leaning and leaning and then crashed into the lake next door. End of DVD. So when we sit Jordan down, you know, two, three years old, and we say, now Jordan, what did you learn from that Madame Blueberry? He looked at us and said, build your house on the ground. Did not learn a thing. And then, so, no, 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 no. And then we opened the toy cupboard, and there's all these toys that the grandparents had given him. So look, You've got enough. You don't need more. And he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot I had this. And he gets it out and plays. We have so much already. And yet in our world, we keep on wanting more and wanting more. I was speaking to uh, some Singaporeans uh, when they came up here for their conference a few years ago. And uh, talking about things like uh, greed. And then in their time off... Uh, a group of uh, ladies all went to KLCC for shopping, you see. And so uh, they went shopping and then they came back and at dinner time all these uh, elderly men came up to me and said, oh, Joshua, I'm glad you gave that talk before they went to KLCC. <laughs> it's amazing. So they went shopping but they didn't spend anything. They <laughs> should have heard that talk too- a long time ago. It is all part of us, isn't it? We just want more and more. Indian shopping, especially at Isatan, I Satan, that, that is the idol of our world. And it's not just for us, it's for our children. For why do we want them to be better educated? Why do we want them to be successful? Is in order that they may be safe, and secure. Who do we trust? And so, to put on the armor, to put on the shield against these missiles, we've got to see that the gospel of Jesus is what really gives us security. But in the end, you can be as rich as you like, but get run over, but in a car accident, get cancer early. In the end, in this world. Our security will not last. But in the gospel message, that gives us an inheritance that will last forever. That is how you put on the arm of God. As you apply the word of God against the lies, the missiles of Satan. You put it on. But you also you put it on, point 2D, by praying in the spirit. You see it there in chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 18. This prayer in the Spirit is not necessarily part of the armour, but rather how you put the armour on. Praying at all times in the Spirit. It's not talking about speaking in tongues, because this is what you to do all the time, so it can't be speaking in tongues. And praying in the Spirit is not just prayer in tongues that you can't understand. I don't think it's about that at all. But rather we pray in the Spirit as we recognise that the Spirit of God is the one who can give us access to God through the death of Jesus. i come back to this very quickly, just one very important verse in chapter 2 and verse 18, 2 verse 18. And here you have the Trinity in terms of our access to God, chapter 2 and verse 18. For through him, that is Jesus, We both, Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter what race you come from, have our access in one Spirit to the Father. That's what the prayer in the Spirit is based on. That the Holy Spirit, that he is the sign that Jesus has risen from the grave, that the coming of the Holy Spirit is now able to unite Jew and Gentile together, that the Spirit is the one who is able to point us to the death of Jesus and that's how we come and able to pray to God. For why would God, who is all holy and, and big, why would he listen to us, a human who's sinful? You might want to pray to God, but why should he even listen to you? It is because Jesus has died for us. And how do we know that Jesus died for us? How do we come to that position? Because the Spirit of God points us to Jesus. So this prayer of the Spirit is how we put on The gospel message. And so, as we put on this armour, then we are able, we are guaranteed this victory. Chapter 6 and verse 10 onwards, notice how many times the word able comes up. Verse 11, put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, because there's the reality of Satan, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Or this shield of faith that we just talked about, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. The arm of God is able to help you to do it. You actually do not need anything else. It is sufficient to enable you to stand firm. Friends, we've got to keep remembering that. We've got to keep remembering, yes, we don't become perfect in this life. Yes, we'll still struggle with greed, with other sins, with pride. We still struggle, but we are able to overcome temptation at any point of time. We are not people who are slaves to Satan. We're not people who are weak, we are people who are able to say no to temptation. As we hold on to the gospel message, as we put on that armour, and especially because Jesus has won the decisive battle already. You see there in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong, notice, in the Lord and in the strength of his might you see Jesus is the Lord Jesus is the one who has conquered heaven and earth Uh, next slide thanks Uh, in chapter 1 verse 10 if you want to have one verse that captures up the whole of Ephesians is this verse chapter 1 and verse 10 Here it is, God as he gives out his blessings, as he sovereignly works out his plan, this is what he's working towards. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. It is the idea that everything gets summed up in Jesus. In the olden days, they add up, not with the bottom line, but they add it up and put the, the, the sum at the top. Jesus is the one who is the Lord, the King, the Ruler over everything. That is what God has been working at from the beginning of time. This Jesus ruling the world. And so be strong in this Jesus. How did he come to this rule, this power? We'll have a look at chapter 1 and verse 20. Chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21 also on the screen there for you. How did he come about it? By rising from the dead. And notice what happened when he rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God in that heavenly reality. Notice verse 21. Far above, all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and about every name, above every name that is named. Friends, all those phrases are what's used to describe the spiritual forces, the authorities and powers, the cosmic powers. Jesus, when he rose, has conquered Satan. By dying on the cross, he paid for our sins. Satan has no more power over us. Satan cannot accuse us of all our wrongs because Jesus has paid them in full and is risen to rule over them all. He's won that decisive battle. And so be strong in the Lord. You see, friends, that's why we do not need to be alarmed. We need to be alert. But not alarmed. That's what people say to us in terms of terrorism, isn't it? Be alert, but not alarmed. We are to be alert that Satan actually is there. But not alarmed. Look at chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit, prayer, supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert. Know your enemy. Know that he's there. But you don't have to be alarmed because Jesus has won the battle. Friends, I don't think a Christian can be possessed by evil spirits. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. We don't have to be those who are fearful you know, sometimes people think, oh, you know, so-and-so may have a, a possession of, of some demon of, of, of greed or something like that and do hours and hours of prayer in order to cast out this demon. And you've got to get the special holy man, you know, has the power of exorcism. No, you don't need all that. In fact, all that, I think, gives more power to Satan than he really has. You no, know, no. as Christians, as God's People, we cannot be possessed by evil spirits. If I do meet, um, you know, someone who supposedly has a holy spirit, uh, not an evil spirit, an evil spirit inside them, what do I do? Do I have to get a, a wooden cross, or do I have to get a big Bible, or you know, what do I do? Take up the full arm of God, preach the gospel message, because the gospel message says what. Jesus has risen to be king over all Satan's and his friends. Do you know what? Satan knows that. Sometimes better than we know that. We preach the message of the victory of Jesus. We have the victory already. Don't worry about, you know, in the middle of the night, you feel a bit of you know pressing on your chest. Most likely not a heart attack because you haven't been exercising. (laughs) But what it usually is, is that sometimes uh, in between uh, sleep when you are sort of in semi-consciousness and when you are in uh, awake time, I've experienced this. Sometimes you're sort of waking up but you you still can't move and you you still feel like something is pressing on you. It's just the physiology of our body that immobilises our body so we don't roll off the bed all the time. It's just physiology, it's just normal. It is not Satan oppressing us or pushing down on us. And don't worry about having a particular demon. In the Bible it talks about demons, but it doesn't talk about a particular demon of of lust or a particular demon of greed. There's no little demons like that in particular. But rather, we are to be those who fight against the lies of the devil Sometimes people think about little demons of this or that. And what they're really doing is taking the responsibility away from themselves. Not my fault, you know, that I'm greedy. It's this demon inside me. And what do I do? I get some expert to try to cast this demon out. No, no. They are the missiles that Satan sends the temptations and we are all responsible to fight it as we take on the gospel message and have the message change and transform our life, that is the spiritual warfare. And ultimately, this spiritual warfare that Ephesians talks about is about being strong in the Lord. How would you summarise, not only chapter 6 here, how would you summarise the whole of Ephesians? All that you've been doing in the last, I don't know, six weeks or so or more. How would you summarise it? I've worked out, for me, one of the ways to summarise it is just with one word. You can't get simpler than that. And the one word is this word, coming up on the screen. Christ. That is, it's about Christ being first in awe of creation. He's first even above the evil spirits. He's number one. He's the king. But more than that, the whole book of Ephesians, remember, is about because Jesus is there, then everyone can be together in Christ under him. No more different races. It's great to see here in SMAC that we have people of different races. That is, people can come under Jesus as Lord, even though they're from different backgrounds and families and even religion. If you trust in Jesus that he takes your sin, that he's your Lord who wins the battle over Satan for you, we can be together no matter what race we come from. We are those who are one in Christ. And that's what the word says, isn't it? If you have a good another look at it, it's about being one in Christ. Jesus has won the victory. That's what it is all about. Take on this full armor of God. But remember, it is not just a formula, it is not just a word. It is a person. Ephesians, the gospel, is about Jesus. And so Paul finishes in his very last sentence in this letter. Chapter 6 and verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Loving him. He who is first, he in whom we can be one. Do we love him like that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Paul warns us against our enemy, that we can be forearmed to know that Satan has schemes, that he has his lies. But we thank you that we can be strong in Jesus, that we can take up your armour that you have given us, namely the gospel message of salvation, of Jesus who brings us together to have peace with you, to win that battle, that victory, that peace. And that we might stand firm. Not to give the devil a foothold in our lives, but that we may stand firm. Father, we pray that we might love this Jesus who enables us to stand firm. That we might encourage one another to so love him more. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.